0: Right. Well, happy Friday and welcome to another future-focused weekly update. This is going to be a little bit of a longer version than the usual 20, 25, 27-minute run-through of kind of the three leading things. Because this week, I had the opportunity um, to listen to one of the latest Diary of a CEO episodes, which if you followed my stuff for a while, you know, I don't listen to a lot of them, but every once in a while, there's a guest on a topic that's particularly relevant. And I spent this week really listening to the latest, one of the latest conversations, kind of thinking, reacting, reflecting um, on that one. And so this weekly update's a little bit of a divergent because I'm going to be responding to a conversation that Stephen Bartlett had on Diary of a CEO with Yuval Noah Harari. And they were talking about artificial intelligence and where it's going. And so I'm going to break that down a little bit different style than I have in the past where I kind of show a clip and then react to it just to take it from a more macro level. And so I'm going to break it into two major parts. So one is I want to talk about the big picture stuff that is in the conversation because I'll just give a warning before listening, if you want to definitely go ahead and listen to the full conversation of the diary of a CEO, if you want, but I would give a little bit of a caution to that because unlike some of the other ones that I've done, this one was pretty dark, pretty heavy. And there wasn't a lot of hope in the conversation, just being totally candid with you. As I listened to it multiple times over the last few days, I went, man, this one's Grim. And granted, I think some of the grim nature of it has to do with the lens by which Yuval is looking at the world through. And so I want to break some of that down, but hopefully you can listen to this and get a feel for what that conversation was. While at the same time, not getting caught up in some of the overwhelming, esoteric ideas of where AI is going and all this other stuff. Now, again, just one last thing on this. I am, I've actually had several people reach out, not related to this topic, but with some other things of, Hey, Christopher, can you give me some thoughts on this? Or what's your reaction to this? I was going to do them this week, but then when I listened to this DOAC, I decided I'd do this. So I bumped those to next week, but thanks to those of you who have shared some suggestions, or floated some different tech by me, uh, it's great. And I would much rather record things that are based on what you're interested in versus just what I'm interested in. So this will be a longer conversation than usual, just so you know. And like I said, the first, I don't know how long, I haven't really estimated timeframes here, but the first part is big picture stuff. So I'm going to talk about, they hit on four major Four big picture things, which were the pace of change, the human and tech intersection, AI created, creating systems and financial decisions. We don't understand what that could all mean. And then jobs and skills was another one. So I'm going to hit on those. But one of the things as I get into this first part is I would just caution people to not get too caught up in these because one of the things, and this is again going back to my caution on listening to the whole episode, much of what they discussed. For the average person, there is absolutely nothing you can control with the things that they talked about. So you would listen to it and go, wow, this is just like crazy to consider or crazy to noodle on. And if you're somebody who loves doing that, fantastic. But if you're looking at listening to something and going, hey, how do I get better prepared for the future ahead of us? You're not really going to get a whole lot of that. So the second half of this will be on practical applications. And I've broke down five, no, six, that I think are very tangible, practical things that have nothing to do with the, well, they have to do with the episode, but are more after I've listened to it multiple times and reflected on it that I go, based on that, I think this is something that everybody could do and benefit from. So with that, I'm going to hit on these. And just so you know, these are in no particular order or anything like that. So if you're listening to this, don't think you'll be able to just flip over to the diary of the CEO and go to a specific section and find this. You'd have to listen to the whole thing, but these are the big themes that came out of it. So the first one that they spent a lot of time talking about was the pace of change. And One of the things they spent a decent amount of time unpacking that I completely agree with is, and I don't know if anybody listening to this is feeling the same way, but the pace of change is like nothing we've never experienced before. It's moving extremely fast. And as I look at it, as I listen to their conversation, as I engage in other conversations with people who are at this kind of bleeding edge of where things are going there's really no signs of things slowing down and so one of the things they talked about because you say that and you hear that and you go okay things are moving really fast yes but they contrast it And if you don't know Yuval he's a historian so again he brought a very different lens to this than some of the other experts that I've talked with on artificial intelligence because he's looking at it through the lens of a historian now, mind you, not only is he a historian, but he's extremely, you know, naturalistic, secular, humanistic. So it's looking at it through that lens. So you have to take that into account as you unpack some of these things. But some of the things were extremely relevant. You know, he talked about the fact that a hundred years ago, you still may not have known the future, but you at least had this general idea of what was durable. And I loved how he brought that up, that you know, if you think back to what it would have been like being on the plains of early America, or you go even further back, you may not have known exactly what your kids were going to do, but you did know that, hey, I have kids. If I teach them how to raise cattle or grow crops or work in a factory, chances are they're going to be sustainable and they'll be set up for a strong future. And When And this is probably one of the most honest things that he said that I really appreciate is that we really have no idea what it's going to be like in 10 to 20 years. And we won't ever hit a level of stable moving forward. There will not be this point where we get there and go, hey, whoosh. Things have calmed down. Now we can kind of go back and readjust. And I think he contrasted it to the Industrial Revolution, which I thought was really profound the way he did it, but just really connecting like, yeah, there was this massive change with industrialism and mechanics and all this stuff. But then everyone had time to kind of adjust. And the challenge we have right now is that adjustment window is. Not really there anymore. We just, we're going to get to it. And then there's going to be another set of change that's right in front of it. And I actually was doing a podcast with someone, uh, not mine, but I was on a podcast talking about this. And they asked me, What's the future of AI? And I have seven kids. Those of you who listen to me know that oldest is going to be 13 here soon. And that is a real challenge ahead of, man, what do I even think about with this? Now I'll talk about the jobs and skills piece but i think this was a common theme that went throughout. so if you're thinking about where are things going or if you're wiped out from 2023 and thinking about 2024 i'm just going to be completely blunt and say you're going to need to figure something out because there's not going to there's no breathing room around the corner. now that said this is something they did not discuss that i do think senior leaders and really any business professionals, but even just everyone in general needs to think about is we need to not just think about the impact that this exponential increase in change and the pace of things is moving has on efficiency and product output and all these financial and business metrics. But I don't think we're putting enough thought and intention and effort into figuring out what are the implications of this on people from an emotional and a psychological standpoint? I am a firm believer that we will adapt, that we will adjust, that we will figure out a path forward. I'm not concerned about that necessarily so much as there will be consequences and repercussions of this kind of change. And so this is something that They touched on, they didn't really touch on this, but this is something I'm really concerned about. This is something I'm putting a lot of time and effort into trying to stand up and find solutions to help people on the emotional, psychological standpoint. I've talked a lot. If you've listened to my other content, you know I talk a lot about the identity crisis that the technological boom has created, where suddenly the things that you thought Were what made you who you were as a professional no longer make you who you are. And so there's a lot of work to be done there. But I think one of the big things that came out in that was just that reaffirmment that this pace is not slowing down. And so again, if you're someone who's just going, if I can just get through 2023, or if I can just make it to the end of 2024, maybe then there's going to be some breathing room for me my feedback to you would be, there's not, there's not breathing room on the other side of this. And so whatever state you're in right now, you're going to have to figure out how to adapt because it's not going to, the light load is not going to lighten. And that may be a grim one. That's why I said, that's why I added the practical applications of this, because this was a heavy episode. It was a very heavy episode listening to it. And I have no doubt that there will be some people who would listen to it and just go, well, that's, not making my week. But for me, it was fascinating to listen to this. Now, the other piece that they dug into, so the second big picture theme in this was the intersection of human and technology. Something that you've all brought up that they talked a lot about like, well, where is technology going? What kinds of things can we expect? And Stephen had some very provocative questions around, You know, well, do you think this will happen in the next X number of years or this and that? And one of the things that you've all brought up that I think is extremely encouraging for people, going back to, in some ways, not a contradiction to the previous point, because I said I support the pace of change is going to move. But one thing that gives me hope that we're not going to move so fast that we can't adjust, it just might be a little more painful than we'd like, is you've all brought this up. People are far more complex than we realize. We just do not fully fathom the complexity of human beings. And we're seeing this even in some of the artificial intelligence applications that are happening right now. Just a humorous example, because I watch a lot of this stuff and talk about it with my kids. And one of the funny examples that we were, I was showing them was an example of someone who figured out how to hack autonomous vehicles and what they do is when they see these things if you drop a cone a road cone on the hood they just they just blow up they don't know what to do they can't function they don't know how to work around it and again it's because they don't have context they don't have that kind of eq to understand the environment and what they're dealing with and all this other stuff and we're still a very long way from that and so in this example you know here this car with all this intelligence all this vast technological power can be thwarted by a simple roadside cone being set on the hood because it sees cone and it can't contextualize, oh, that's on my hood and it's not really in my way and I can move around this and it just can't put all those pieces together. So I really appreciated Yuval's take on how complex we really are as a species and how far that really takes us from, you know, are, are robots or machines going to replace humans? I mean, my personal belief in that is they can't. There are some things that are just imago day unique about humans that you cannot just turn into a robot. But even if you don't adhere to that, I think his point on, and he wouldn't, he would disagree with that, yet he still agrees that the complexity of human beings is far more vast than we anticipate. Now, one of the things that I think we are going to, they didn't hit on this, but one of the things that I continue to raise with people as an area of watch out is while humans will remain distinct because we are so complex and because of, you know, other factors, machines are going to get much better at mimicking humans. And, we need to be really wise and discerning in this because we are going to quickly get to a point where it becomes much harder to distinguish whether you're dealing with a machine or a human being. Now, to me, I think just a good example, this came up on a different podcast I was talking on recently. I'm already seeing how we're adapting to this. So a good example is in early 2023, If somebody put out AI-generated content unedited, most people would have been duped by it. If you put out purely AI-generated content now, a large portion of people will immediately look at it and go, yeah, that's a robot. So I think in that sense, that's encouraging because, again, I think we're going to adapt to this, but it's something we need to be very watchful of. And I caution a lot of people be just be very wise, be very discerning, make sure you're maintaining human relationships with people because that will help you be better at discerning, Hey, is this really a robot or is this really a person? And so I think while his point about the complexity of humans is we're ways miles apart from machines getting close to that, there are going to be things that we need to watch for. And I wish they had spent a little more time talking about how advanced things have become and how quickly they are moving and how easy it is going to be to try and trick people into this, which I think will adapt. Um, Something else that you've all brought up that I actually thought was probably maybe one of my favorite points on this was they got into the discussion of, will AI take our free will? Will we actually, will AI get to a point where we are, have our free will removed from this? And I really, really, even though Yuval and I have wildly different worldviews, I actually appreciated the deep dive he took into the concept of free will. Because what he ended up saying is whether you believe in free will or not, you need to be very, very careful because the belief in free will can be extremely dangerous and can make you extremely vulnerable. And I think this is a really good takeaway for anybody to consider on this because what he he talked about, and he went into this in a reasonable amount of time, was he talked about the fact that when you believe too much, when you put too much stake in free will, what can happen is you can begin to assume that every decision you make is made completely independent of all environmental factors, all emotional, mental, like you assume that you're making every decision in a purely isolated, insulated way, and that you are impenetrable to being influenced by other things. And I thought that was a really good call out by this, because even if you're someone who believes in free will, that can be a very dangerous thing. And I've seen people go down this path where they really think they are impenetrable to influence and they end up making really stupid decisions or they don't even see how their own biases or their own environmental factors are actually clouding their judgment significantly. And as a result, hold very tightly to decisions that are extremely foolish. And it's because they think, well, no, this is my own independent will. I'm thinking for myself. I hear that term thrown around a lot. Uh, Think for yourself. And it's like, that's treading into dangerous territory of this belief that I am impenetrable to the influence of others and the environment around me. And I think his calling that out, and really they didn't end up talking much at all about whether AI will or won't take that from you. More so they dug into this whole idea that, hey, regardless of where you land on that spectrum, you need to have a keen awareness that you are being influenced, that you are being pressured, and that you are making decisions based on environmental factors. And so you need to be cognizant of that so that you can be aware that those things are there. So you can check those things. So you can check against them and make sure that, you know, there's, you're not being foolish really ultimately is it. And, you know, it was interesting listening to him unpack that a bit because, again, you couldn't really pin him down, but based on some of the other things he said, it's pretty clear he doesn't see it that way. Um, But he ultimately said, even if you believe that there's some sort of divine creative spark, that you still should, you would be wise to acknowledge and see the influences around you. So I think that's something that everybody, you know, I think about that as we come into a political season, especially a politically charged season here in the states as we're getting ready for election season and there can be this rugged individualism that we have in the west where we think that I am myself I'm an empire on to my own and nothing affects me and I just think independently of all influences around us and that's I've seen it take people down a very very destructive path because they don't see how they're being used and manipulated by the people, the powers, the whatever around them uh, because of this. So I would just again as an encouragement while this is kind of a big picture thing that came out of the discussion and again it was a little dark you know as they got into it, but I think it was a good call out for everyone to maybe take some time to really assess a what are the things that are influencing me because they're everywhere. I mean, I had I had a conversation where it's performance management season, it's you know goal setting, it's all this stuff, everybody's doing all these things. And so there's lots of talk about leadership development. And I was in one conversation with someone where I was talking about the fact that it's amazing how much of people's leadership is influenced by the way they grew up and the way they were treated by their parents. And that is not a popular opinion to socialize. Believe me, I have socialized it in public forums before. And people don't like to think that. They don't like to think that how their parents treated them or the way they grew up influences and affects the way they treat other people and the way they think about the world. They like to think that somehow they broke free of that. And really the only freedom you can ever experience is when you actually recognize how much it's actually got a hold on you so that you can at least know where it's holding you so that you can be conscious of that and work around it. So again, just a. A really important piece that to me stood out that was an unexpected. I didn't really expect that to be his answer when Stephen dove down that path. And I thought it was definitely worth calling some attention to. Um, The other one that was really interesting, and I double tapped on this, you'll hear it in my practical applications at the end, was they talked about forging human relationships. And Yuval, the way he framed it, I thought, was really, really compelling. And that he said, intimacy comes in relationships with conscious beings, which means feelings are required and AI does not have feelings. And so when we think about where is AI going and what things do we need to be careful of and watch out for, this interpersonal relationship, I've said on multiple things over the past, I don't know how long, We need to be really, really mindful of this. And I will say in the earlier AI days, I saw a lot more eye rolls to it. People kind of thought, yeah, right. Like who's really building relationships with AI? I think now as people are starting to see how it can, going back to my earlier point of AI is much better at mimicking a human, still not a human, still not conscious, doesn't have context or feelings, but it can fake it much better than it could before. There is a greater recognition that, hey, we may be vulnerable to Wanting, and especially when you think about the loneliness epidemic going on right now, there's going to be a greater temptation for people to want to build relationships with AI. And in some cases, uh, in a conversation I had recently, I'm like, listen, if it's transactional in nature, go ahead. I I say AI at work is great to think about as a brilliant intern. So if you need it to help you put together a PowerPoint draft or take care of this thing. It's a very transactional type thing. Great. If you are thinking about a deeper intimacy that you would need, you need to have that with a conscious being. And again, it was really interesting, especially given Yuval's worldview, how passionate and strong he felt about this. And I think one of the things that he brought up that was actually really interesting when he, to validate his point was... Relationships that have no feelings is abuse. And he talked about, you know, how psychopaths or you know sociopaths or narcissists can just completely disconnect from feelings. And how having a relationship with someone like that, it's you're they're just using you. They're just using you. And they can even make it seem like they're not using you, they're helping you, but really they're just using you. And I think going back to, hey, what are some of the things we need to watch out for? This is going to be a temptation area and something that we need to watch out for because I think there is going it is going to become so much easier to start to build relationships with these unconscious beings, and they're going to be really good at mimicking a conscious being that's going to make us feel like we're developing this. And on the one side, you can be taken advantage of, you can be manipulated, you can have this stuff happen. But I actually have been thinking about what is this going to potentially do to us? What kind of impact may this have on our own psychology and the way we think about others? Because I think about the fact that if we start raising a generation of people or grooming a generation of people who treat a being like they are just there to do your bidding. I mean, we don't have to look very far back in human history to see what happens when people start thinking that they can just treat things like they are just there for their own pleasure and satisfaction. And that has a very dark path. And so the emphasis on how important it is for relationships to be between conscious beings and the consequences that can come when we start messing with that I thought was really profound. And I'll talk later about that in some of the, like what practical applications can you take? But they, again, it was a heavy episode. So this again was one of those like, oh geez, is there going to be an upside to any of this? But I think it was an important concern and a call out that everyone should be paying close attention to. And it needs to be something you're intentionally being conscious about. Because the thing about relationships is that you may not always even realize that you're in the process of building them. And I think about, you know, how easy it would be to start having this back and forth with chat GPT. And pretty soon it just feels like such a human interaction. You start asking other questions and pretty soon you're telling it things about you that, you know, and it's responding in a way that makes you feel like there's something on the other end. And just, I think we're going to see, and I've seen already multiple case studies where people have gone down this path, it does not end well. It doesn't end well. So I appreciated Yuval's emphasis on that is not going to change. And this is something he feels extremely strongly about. And again, he's coming at it from a historical perspective where similar to what I said, he he's going, we've seen what happens when we start to not let feelings be involved in the relationships that we have and how dire that can go real quick. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll end on that one. Um, the other one in the human tech intersection that was, again, a lot of really interesting takes that came out of this discussion between Stephen and Yuval one was on immortality and Stephen asked Yuval about, you know, the possibility of immortality and, where that could go in the future. And they were a little bit pontificating on where things could go. I absolutely loved Yuval's response to this in that, and again, we're coming at this from two very different angles. And yet, um, if you know me, I love engaging with people who think very differently than me and not to then argue and debate against each other so much as see, hey, we actually have a lot more in common than we have different. And one of the things that he brought up was he actually... Charged back at Stephen and said, actually, we will not achieve immortality. We cannot achieve immortality. The best we can get to is amortality. And I thought that was a really interesting distinction and a really interesting point. And what he meant by that is, even if, okay, let's go down the rabbit hole, let's imagine you could download your consciousness into the cloud, you could be put in a robot. If you listen to my weekly update last week, I talked briefly about you know the possibilities of transhumanism and where that could go. Even hypothetically, if you could go down that path, he talked about the fact that it's only going to get you so far. There's always going to be this reality that exists that at any moment this could be taken from you. So, again, playing that hypothetical out, you you've downloaded your consciousness, you've uploaded it into optimus gen 37 and you know you've got titanium frames and all this other stuff yet you're still vulnerable you're still vulnerable to something something could destroy what you are and i think we could chase all these different ways to try and mitigate that but at the end of the day and i thought it was fascinating the way he played this out he said if anything this is going to this pursuit of immortality and the ability to tap into a mortality through this, he f- attested to the fact, he's like, I think this is actually going to increase levels of anxiety in people. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective. And I agree completely with him on this, because when you think about it, there's so much more to lose. You know, while we don't like to talk about death and our own mortality, we do all in the back of our mind, we know we're not going to live forever. We know we're not going to be death. We know our days are numbered and we also know that, you know, if we get hit by a bus, like that's it. Like there's, there's certain things we just know whether we talk about it or consciously deal with it versus, and as he unpacks some of this stuff, if he started talking about like, what if you could be a machine and okay, so hypothetically you managed to stay alive for a thousand years. And so you've made it that far. how, anxious are you going to be about that one EMP hit that takes you out and wipes you off the face because now you've, you don't know what it's going to be. You don't know what's around the corner and what you don't know what those limits are and what is that going to do to the anxiety? And I just thought that was a really, really interesting thought experiment to think about you know, this promise of, and he was very clear about it, that We will not, attain immortality. The best we will ever get is immortality. And when you frame it that way, suddenly you have to start evaluating and asking the question at what cost and how much is it really worth in the end to pursue this? Now, my personal view on this, I'll just tell you right now, I love my kids. I love my family. I love the work that I do. I have zero desire to live forever in the world, the way it is now. Now, obviously my worldview leads me to believe firmly that it won't be this way forever. But when I think about it, if you could offer me immortality or immortality today and go, Hey, just imagine you could live for a thousand years or 2000, I'd be like, no way, no way would I want to take that pill at this point, given the brokenness, the frailty and all these other things. So it was just a really interesting thing uh the other one that I thought that was really interesting on the immortality or immortality discussion was you've all talked about he's been in these conversations with people and I've had conversations very similar to people who are working diligently towards accomplishing this other thing and one of the things that he said was he's like why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? Why are you pursuing this thing to get something down the road when you could have it right now? And what came out of that discussion, and this is something at some point I'll publish my book, is all about this point of like relentless intention. Like not just what's your why, but what's, the, what's underneath that why? And the example he gave that I, I see this all the time in the sphere of work that I do he said he runs into people who spend countless hours away from their family, working diligently to either build a financial platform or to build, you know, they're working on a type of a thing. And when you ask them why, and they're like, oh, so I can spend time with my family. And his response back, and it's a similar one that I've had to people is, I'm like, why, why aren't you doing that right now? They're here now. And so often we're so wrapped up in, building for a future that we miss the present. And to be clear, this is not me saying don't plan for the future, don't make wise decisions, don't be prepared for where things can go, not by any means. But at the same point, we need to be much more conscientious of thinking about, hey, like, is there stuff I could be getting right now that I'm missing out on because I'm so lost in chasing this thing that's a hypothetical out there. And I thought that was the other second half of the immortality discussion that they had that I thought was really profound and really thought-provoking that I would encourage people just to, you know, answer that question. Oh, you okay, you're working diligently. You want to have a great financial future for your family. For what? For for what? So you can spend more time with your kids? Well, your kids are kids right now. So go spend time with them right now. Get out of your office. And go be with them now so that you're not 65 going hey look at all this money i made for you so that we can go on trips together and they go yeah well i don't have a relationship with you so no thanks and i've honestly growing up in a funeral home i just saw that that sad tragic story happen way too many times and so when he brought that up i thought it was uh, a really important emphasis and reminder um on this one again it was a relatively dark (laughs) heavy Conversation, which is why I would again caution people, um, you know, of listening to it if you're not in a place where you can listen to that with a clear head and walk away, just going, okay, you know, good food for thought. Um the other one, the final one on this t- human and tech intersection that they talked about that is a serious concern of mine. And I talked about it in my weekly update last week, is this potential for exploitation and the rise of classism as artificial intelligence continues to rise. And he tied this to a later point about history, but we don't have a really good track record of doing this. And I was in a separate conversation recently with somebody just talking about the Volkswagen, I think it's the Volkswagen bug and what a technological innovation it was. But then when you actually look at what went into it in Nazi Germany to make that happen and what occurred to get to that point you go oof right is the juice worth the squeeze you know are we what are we doing who's being exploited in some of these things and i talked about i won't repeat it here if you're curious a little more of my thoughts on this you can check out last week's weekly update but you know, this is something that I am concerned about as I look at some of the innovations that we've done and even what's happened so far with generative AI, like many people are, you know, using generative AI, like no big deal, but I know firsthand some of the negative psychological consequences that have occurred as a result of people being exploited to filter and, manage and you know do all this stuff to this content and be exposed to things to help better train the ai to be more effective but it's like but at what expense at what cost and not that that means oh we should just never innovate but we also can't have this attitude of like well you know you gotta break a few eggs i think we just need to be really careful of that and he talked you've all talked about some of the historical connections to that and talking about and I'll talk about that in a minute here about kind of the AI systems and the empire component. But again, I think this is something that we just need to be really mindful of. Um as I mentioned throughout in this big picture stuff, many of you who listen or watch this may go, well, what would I as an individual do related to this? Maybe nothing. Uh, maybe this is just a thought experiment, but it's good for you to be thinking about these things so that when opportunities do present themselves, you've at least considered it. You've thought about it. You have a point of view and you're going back to my earlier point of being very careful of assuming that you are completely independent and free will and you know immune to influence, that when these things come up, you can be a wise and discerning person who can think about this and go, wait a minute, I've, I've what are the implications of this? You can at least ask some of the questions. Um, so those were the big ones on the human and tech intersection. Piece. The other big theme that came through in this conversation was around creating systems and making decisions that we don't understand, and this one got you know pretty dark pretty quick. So this is again where I wouldn't necessarily encourage people to just start going down this rabbit hole because you might not be able to pull yourself out of it. But one of the things he talked about was as we get into these hyper intelligent Beings that are making systems and they're making decisions and they're doing things that are happening at a level that we just can't even understand. And even if we get to a point of explainable AI where it's able to explain to us, it's never, we're never going to fully wrap our heads around just the amount of information, the amount of decision points, the amount of, we just won't be able to do it at that point. And so they talked a lot about what are the potential implications and what are some of the concerns that we may have around this. And one good example that they brought out was, you know, the whole, they talked about the fact that money only has money, only has value because of the story and the system that it's created. Like regardless of whether we speak the same language or not, if you have a good and I have money, there's this just system that it's like, I give you money, you give me Good and it works. And what happens as these AI systems have the potential to start creating these systems that we just don't even fundamentally understand the language of good service, financial transaction? And it's creating systems that are just beyond us. And they went further around, you know, what happens as that creeps into government and it starts making decisions or basically telling people this is the decision you should make and you really don't even have the ability to say, well, how did you even come to the conclusion that that's the decision we should make? And what are the implications of not making that decision? And what if we make a decision in this way? And so it was just a very interesting, again, a little bit dystopian as you think about. I think what stood out to me in as they went down this point um, was the importance of us to stay close to this stuff. And I see this happening more and more in the shorter term. And so while this may feel very esoteric, very disconnected, I think it's something that has more close to home implications than we may realize. Like maybe we can't control foreign policy and wars and financial decisions and how our financial system works. Maybe not. Maybe we'll just have to kind of go along with whatever happens. But something I do see that is within the realm of things is I even think of simple things. You know, I look at companies using artificial intelligence to give input into hiring decisions and firing decisions and things like that, and who's promotion ready and these other things. And there are opportunities we are all going to have on a day-to-day basis to essentially hand over the keys and be lazy. And we have a history of. Being lazy, if it makes us more money or if it makes us more comfortable, we'll take the elephant path, the shortest distance between two points, without necessarily considering the implications. And I think that's an important call out for anyone as we move into this era is that, yeah, maybe you can't make any of these big decisions or you won't be in a position to turn over some of these big decisions to a machine. But there will be smaller ones that will come much easier It'll be much easier to make simple decisions Then those simple decisions become slightly more complex. And then slowly over time, we just don't even bother asking the question of, well, wait a minute, why, what are the implications of this decision? And we, again, just erode our ability to think critically. And so I think that to me is the big watch out in this. Obviously, if you listen to it, you know, you'll hear lots of talk to the industrial revolution and The tie to empire and what this means, and Yuval is definitely a uh, believer that you know this whole AI age is going to lead to an era of conflict. And and I mean, in many ways, I've said it before. We, in some regards, are in an arms war with technology right now. So, is there the potential for this to lead to more conflict? Sure. Do I think we'll go there? Probably. Do I think we should sit and spend a whole lot of time worrying about things that are probably way outside our control? No, but I do think we need to think about this in terms of what is within our control, which is our ability to make decisions, our ability to think critically, and how quick are we to take the lazy path and go, well, you know, it'd just be easier if I didn't really think about why I'm making this decision that, you know, this machine told me this is the best candidate to hire or told me this is how I should set up my day. So I'm just going to do it. And I think some of those smaller ones, they're they're here. They're here now. And you, anybody who's out there listening or watching this, you're encountering them today. You know, even something as simple as the Google search results you get, you know, those results you get, or even a chat GPT prompt. You ask it a question, it gives you the answer. How much are you just willing to accept? Well, that's what it told me. So I'm just going to go off of that. Instead of at least making sure you're well-informed, you're thinking critically about this and you're thinking through potential impact and uh, repercussions of the decisions you make and how might these decisions affect others, not just yourself. And I think that's probably one of my biggest concerns with artificial intelligence. Going back to the relational piece is we already are hyper-individualistic. We like to think of our lives and our decisions and everything we do just through the realm of, well, what's the impact to me? instead of what's the impact to those around me, who else potentially could be harmed by the decisions I make. And I think that's something that we need to think carefully about. Um, And it's something that we need to be very mindful of. Um, So the last one on the big picture, and then I'll transition to something that I think is a lot more practical. So they talked about the jobs and skills. And the impact to jobs, the impact, they talked a little bit about the skills of the future. Um, I completely agree with Yuval on his take in this. You know, one of the things he said is jobs will absolutely go away. And new jobs will be created and history will repeat itself. Again, he's coming at this through the lens of a historian. He studied these things. And I 100% agree. This is not new. Jobs have been coming and going and changing and adapting and being disrupted significantly. Um, It was interesting that they said they they really actually both kind of left it on that we're not really sure what it all means and how this impact will go and what the impact is on skills. And for me, I was actually surprised neither of them went deeper into that because I think there's actually a lot more that we do know about the jobs of the future and the skills and where things are going. And that's where I spend a lot of time in trying to help people see, hey, it isn't this just complete black hole that we're walking into and you're not sure if you're gonna be relevant next year or the year after that, or you're not sure, well, gosh, what do I even develop because everything I'm doing is completely irrelevant six months from now. I think it's not as bleak. And that's where I said, this episode was pretty bleak it was pretty bleak. Like on this topic, it was just like, well, jobs are going to go and there'll probably be new ones created, but we have no idea really what they are or what they'll be or what skills you'll need to do them. And so, and then it was just kind of like, eh, and I, to me, I thought that was a missed opportunity because I think there is a lot more confidence that we can have in what the future looks like in that. Um, You know, for me, I, I just talked about this on a recent conversation, separate podcast, where I said, you know, no, truly, I think we're going to see massive job disruption in 2024. Um, I talked, if you listen to this this week's, I think it was, yeah, it just went out today, my conversation with Steven Wasik about where AI is going in some of these things. And one of the areas that initially we kind of disagreed on, I think we were more aligned than uh, we initially thought. But I said 2023 was a massive year for technological disruption, massive technological disruption. We saw huge changes, lots of things changing. We've kind of hit a little bit of a glass ceiling. Now, if you listen to two weeks ago's weekly update, maybe it was three, I talked about the implications of clean energy and quantum computing and what possibilities that could open up and how that could raise the ceiling. But those are still hypotheses. Um, so really we've hit a bit of a technological ceiling in terms of capability. So now it starts moving into implementation and expansion phase. And so I think 2024 is going to be a year of job disruption. And that doesn't mean that if you're a job seeker, you need to be afraid for your job so much as you need to be fully prepared to have it be disrupted and have your job as you know it today, be different by the end of the year and be okay with that and be able to adapt and be able to go, okay. You know, that part of my work no longer exists, but it won't. And as I talked about this on this other podcast, I talked about the need for organizations to take the time to deconstruct the work, deconstruct the jobs, really understand. I think many organizations, they don't really understand what goes into the work that's done in their companies. And as a result, they don't really know what their people do or what could be done by a machine, what could not, or how to paint a pathway for people moving forward. And so as I look at this, I think that's important work that needs to be done. I think the other thing too for people is, you know, there is some consistency. We do know what is going to happen in some regards. And as I look at the landscape of things, two areas, you know, one with the hard skills. Well, yes, there may be uncertainty about the specific exact application of hard skills that you may need to do. Those hard skills won't go away. So a good example that I unpacked on this podcast recently was coding, software engineering. We know software engineering is being disrupted by AI massively. Uh, the gentleman I was talking to is actually a software engineer. He talked about how generative AI now, like it finishes his code. It's like autocorrect. He gets going and just like, boop, it just fixes it. And all he has to do is tweak it. But we talked about the hard skills behind that. And he still has to understand computer science and how logic and decisions are made in a computer system so that he can look at that and not just go, oh, great, autocorrect, you know, submit, publish, but actually go, ah, actually, wait a minute. No, because based on that, and again, machines are not contextual, be able to go, ah, but actually, because I'm trying to get it to do this in this kind of environment. And Stephen, in today's podcast, and I talked about this, where those contexts start to go oh but because of this context while yes that would normally be the logical conclusion you wouldn't need that and you need that hard skill set but it's a different hard skill set because it's the foundational piece you may not need to know python specifically or you may need to know a little bit but you do need to understand the foundations of how computer science works so that you can analyze and edit and critique and and tweak as you go so i think there's that and then i think the other one is our interpersonal skills. The number of jobs I look at where I go, yes, the robotic mechanical components of your job are fundamentally going to be disrupted. They absolutely are going to be disrupted. But the um, interpersonal components, going back to intimacy is about an interaction between two conscious beings. And when you think about that, you know, Yuval's component of how he framed that up, intimacy, I know is a weird word for us to think about in a professional setting, professional context. But when I think about intimacy, it's very important, even in a business setting. And so as we think about the interpersonal components, that's still going to be extremely important. And if anything, you know, maybe you were a physician who all you did was look at scans. Well, now your ability to, explain those scans to another human being and empathize with them because of what they're going through as a result of what's on those scans and being able to process those and be there for that person. Those interpersonal components are just going to rise in importance as the mechanical components become less important. And so again, while they kind of shied away from, well, we just don't really know where any of this is going. I think there's a lot more visibility, a lot more transparency, into where this is going because humans are not going to, humans may want to interact with a machine or with artificial intelligence for transactions that may be comfortable, but we're already seeing and we're only going to continue to see more. I believe that humans are going to want intimacy and relationships with other humans. They're not going to be willing to sacrifice that, um, there's going to be this desire for that. So again, for those who may be thinking about, oh, jobs and skills, it's just an uncertain future. It's gloom and doom. You know, you listen to this podcast and you just go, the end is near. It's it's not. And I think there's a much brighter future than a lot of the AI narratives and conversations that I hear going on. And that's why I wanted to spend a little bit more time unpacking this one than some of the other ones. Okay. So let me transition over to the practical applications because like I said much up to this point of what I talked through you may have listened to and gone wow like I don't even know where I would do anything with that and I and hopefully I picked out a few things that you can go well okay but I could at least be thinking about this or preparing myself for this but I understand that's big picture stuff so I wanted to do a section just specifically about what can you do based on where you're sitting right now. Because to me, that's one of the biggest barriers for a lot of people is that people don't really know what to do. And when people don't know what to do, that's when they're the most uncomfortable. And I will say, what you can do depends tremendously on where you're set. You know, the, If you're listening to this and you're a CEO of a tech company, what you can do is going to be different then if you're, I have no idea, a frontline employee in a retail environment, you know, making sure that your customers are cared for, there are going to be just different decisions. There are going to be different things that you have to focus on as you look at that. Um, and there's a lot that you have no control over. I see a lot of conversations where people are speculating and anticipating and projecting what might and what may come. But much of it I don't see as ultimately us having much control over on the large. Now, granted, I will be the first to admit my worldview impacts tremendously some of the way I approach these things. And I will say my worldview is a in huge contrast to Yuval. And while there are lots of things I think we agree on as I listen to the conversation, and even Stephen, some of the other conversations I've listened to him, there's definitely points of agreement there are lots of things that i would go i don't actually even see the world through that now now ultimately right for me i firmly believe that there is a ultimate god in control of all of this and for me that gives me tremendous confidence in all of this so i can listen to some of these things i can listen to this i can even see things happening and unfolding in front of my eyes and go yeah, I I may not know how this plays out, but ultimately I know how it ends. And given that I can have confidence in that. So that's just me. I'm not here to try and convince anyone otherwise, but I have been asked in the past, like, how can you be so calm and have such confidence and peace amidst all this chaos? And ultimately it goes back to that. From my vantage point, I've seen the end and, when you know how the movie ends, I think back to scary movies. One of the things and don't, I don't need comments or critiques on this, but like, I hate scary movies. I hate being scared in movies and things like that, but I have lots of friends and people who like watching them. And so while movie spoilers, some people hate spoilers. I love spoilers because for me, I'm like, Hey, if I know how it ends, I can tolerate literally anything that can come up in the movie because I know, Oh, okay. But in the end, this is what happens. And so for me, I look at that very practical application of how I navigated my teenage early 20 years where everybody wanted to go watch these scary, freaky movies, and I'm going, I can't tolerate this. But, hey, read the movie spoiler, get the gist of what's going to happen, and you know how it ends, and you go, okay, the same is true of my worldview. You know, I've studied the Bible in and out and go, all right, you know, I firmly believe and have faith in what this says. So given that I can see all these things and these shifting sands move around me, but it ultimately doesn't shake me. So that's just where I'm at. Um, but regardless of what you believe. Okay. So whether you adhere to my worldview or not, to me, I think there's still lots of opportunity to collaborate. And I think there's lots of opportunity to, support one another. And I think one of the things that regardless of what your vantage point is, I would emphasize and encourage people to control what's in front of you. Uh, And I hit on some of those things in the big picture thing, but I see so many people getting sucked into this AI discussion and not just AI. I see them getting sucked into national politics and all these other things And the example earlier of, you know, people who are pouring themselves into making all this money so that they can have time with their families and they're ignoring what is right in their backyard. And so for anybody who's thinking about this and who's going like, what if robots take over the world? And what if my job is gone and everything that I've committed my life to dissipate? Well, maybe that will happen. But if that really is the case, can you add a single minute to your life by stressing about it? No. So control what you can control, which is right in front of you, which is spend time with the people around you. Spend time building the skills that I firmly believe will be durable. Your interpersonal skills, your ability to re- build relationships, your ability to think contextually, and you know these other things. It's like you can control those things. And I just see way too many people caught up in things that are so far outside their control and stressing and freaking out and making their lives miserable about this stuff. And it's like, let it go control what's in your neighborhood. Go get to know your neighbors, go hug your kids, go learn how to build stronger relationships with people so that if your job gets So I I did a whole bunch over the Christmas holiday. I contributed to a bunch of the LinkedIn articles um, talking about, you know, what can you do to build your network? How do you be prepared for your next job? And my biggest advice to people was don't wait until you need a job. Going back to it, can you control if your company is going to lay you off? No, you can't. There are things you can do to maybe mitigate the risk. There's things you can do to make yourself more marketable and things like that. But like you can't control that. So, what you can control is building strong relationships, building a strong brand, building keeping your career skills fresh. Don't wait until it happens to do it. And so I would just encourage everybody, you know, you may go, you may, you may go watch the real episode. And I'm telling you, it you'll walk away from it. And even I, I've got a pretty durable, resilient factor for this stuff. And even I was like, geez, that was heavy. I need to go, you know, take a walk after listening to it. So you know, it's easy to get sucked into that. And I would just encourage people to um, not and to focus on what's, what's in front of you, what's tangible in your hands. Um, another one that I think, oh, for the sake of all things, make sure that you pay attention to this one. AI is a tool. The love of everything. Do not build relationships. Do not try and meet interpersonal needs with technology. And I know these lines are going to get blurred. Um, I've talked to a number of people who, and I've talked to a number of psychologists and coaches who have said, you know, AI can be helpful in certain things. You know, it can be helpful if someone's trying to deal with something or process something to, you know, be able to just talk it through and kind of get objective feedback. And I can see that. Honestly, I can see that. I can see there being room for that. But I will just say, I think in some ways you're playing with fire. And if you're not careful, you're going to get burned. Can you work with fire and have it do wonderful things for you and you know have it be a productive tool in your arsenal? Absolutely. Can fire cover you in third degree burns and potentially kill you? Yeah, it can. And I think when it comes to these relational, interpersonal pieces, to me, this is a rising area as AI continues to mimic human behavior and human tendencies. It's a real risk. And it may sound cheesy. You may be the one who sits there and goes, I would never, I would never do that. I had a conversation with someone just two weeks ago um, who's, they, I won't share details about, but let's just say they got pulled in and they did not see it coming. And um, so just be careful, be careful with the kinds of relationships that you're um, building on this. Um, On that note, on a similar topic to this, going back to what you can control, there is no better time than right now to focus on strengthening and building the human relationships that you have and that are around you. Uh, And it's an investment that will pay dividends over and over, whether it's career, whether it's this or that. But going back to my earlier point, or actually Yuval's point on this, a true relationship is with a conscious being who there's a mutual care and love for one another. And it's not a transaction of all I care about is what I can get from you. And so when you focus on the human relationships, be approaching it through that lens and Um, you know, continue to invest in that. Again, going back to some of the articles that I've commented on a lot recently, we often don't realize how important human relationships are or how much work they take to build and maintain until something goes wrong. And all of a sudden, we're out of a job or we lost a loved one or something and we go, oh my gosh, like how did it get to this point? So I think for anybody, I would encourage you to invest Time, energy, be intentional about it because building relationships, it's a commitment. It's not something you fit in between the cracks of your everyday things. It's something that you commit time, attention, and effort into. And it means opening yourself up to other people, which can be scary. It means that you can get hurt, um, but high risk, high reward. And that doesn't mean be foolish, doesn't mean be an idiot. And, you know, put yourself in vulnerable positions necessarily that are going to get you hurt. But it also means that if you lock yourself away from everyone around you, you're never going to have that very important thing that is actually going to be, I think, one of the most powerful tools um, for navigating these future years. Okay, uh, coming in with three left. The last one, and I promise this, so so bear with me here on this one. So I actually would encourage everyone out there to actually read a Bible from cover to cover. And now here's one of the things. Now, I, anybody listening, you know that I'm coming from a Christian worldview. But my recommendation to do this, going back to my earlier point of I'm aware of my influences. I'm aware of the things that affect me and how it shapes my lens. So I'm aware that obviously, am I going to have a personal bias towards recommending reading the Bible? Of course, but I'm aware of that. And so I objectively analyze that before I put that in here as a practical application. So hear me out on this, okay? So I'm aware of that, but I would recommend this, whether or not you believe in the theology of it or not. And the reason for that is no book I've ever encountered takes such a long-scale look at the beauty and wonder of humanity right alongside the ugliness and horror of it. Um, There is, and again, I will be the first to say you have to step out of you're coming from Europe or America, you got to step out of your Western mindset and reading it through a modern lens. You have to, or you won't read it correctly. But if you take time to understand the historical context and what was going on and how all these pieces fit together, this is a fascinating examination on the human story and what It looks like, and the fact that it doesn't shy away from the ugliness of it. Now, again, you have to understand its context, because if you read it wrong, you'll read it and go, oh, you'll read your own biases into it. You'll read it and go, oh, well, it's promoting X, Y, Z instead of going, well, what is it actually saying here? What is it actually showing about this? But it truly, and I think this is one of the reasons why I really appreciated you all is because he's coming at this from a historical standpoint. And I think the Bible is a great source of historical context to the trajectory of human, the human story. And we can see empires rise up and we can see what happens when people are exploited. And we can see the ugliness that is in humanity when we make some of these terrible, terrible decisions. And we can also see the beauty and wonder that exists even amidst some of that. So, that truly, um, you know, I make a point to try and read through the entire thing cover to cover two to three times a year. And again, am I saying that's what everyone should do? No, I'm not. And I'm not trying to get anybody to sign up for my worldview so much as to say there is some fascinating insights into the human condition. And some of the things that going back to, you've all said it multiple times, it's like nothing's new. It's interesting. King Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes, nothing is new under the sun. And you've all kind of emphasized that point that none of this stuff we're really experiencing is all that new. Uh, It's a different flavor. It's a different look and feel. But we're going to encounter some of, well, really everything that we're going to encounter has happened before, just in a different rhythm. I think of it like a symphony. Where, you know, there's going to be kind of the melody, but then you're going to hear it kind of come back through different instruments and different interpretations of it, but really it's the same melody over and over and over and over again. Um, so anyway, just, just a personal plug on that, but I think there's more wisdom To be found there than just you know oh well that's you know bible thumping christian trying to tell people to do this i i would say you know i know i actually know a lot of people who don't even adhere to my worldview that would agree with me on this and say yeah no actually there's a lot of wisdom and context and historical value in studying the text and understanding you know hey this is over thousands of years and man you can see some of these patterns playing out so with that um The second to last one, let me just kind of make note on where I am on time here. The second to last one is, I would just caution people to be very, very, very cautious for signing up or accepting any of the promises that some of this emerging technology is making. I think there are a lot of checks being written and maybe I'm dating myself. There's a lot of, I don't know, Venmo transactions <laughs> you know, being produced um, that I think are going to come up void, that are going to come up fraudulent. And I think we just need to be really careful of this because going back to some of the things we talked about, it's the story is not new. And a lot of the things we're pursuing with this technology are not new. It's a different way of doing it. But we can look to the past and we can see some of the things that we've tried that we just go, well, that can't work. Now, we have to be careful with that because I do think it can be easy to go, well, let's just stick to the way we've always done it. And that can also be dangerous. But I think it's important that we look for valid evidence for some of these innovations, some of these changes in technology and say, hey, can it actually demonstrate its ability to do this and to do so with Healthy skepticism. I mean, I'm a big enthusiast for technology. I'm a big fan of where technology is going. At the same time, I'm highly skeptical of it. And when someone tells me, hey, I've created a conscious AI, I'm like, "Mm, interesting. Not going to buy it, but sure, let's explore it and see where it is. And as you start to delve into it and you start to break it apart, you start to go, well, okay, you know, I guess using this definition of conscious, then I guess you could do that. And so there's a lot of nuance to language and the way we say things. And, um, you know, anybody who's been around the block knows that, hey, greed and power and money, they fuel some crazy things. And if you can convince people that you can solve a problem with no consequences for them, uh, you can get a lot of money out of them. And so I would just encourage people, you know, there's a lot of push for, hey, you know, there's this new tool or there's this new thing or why not? you know, hand this over to this and that. And um, going back to my earlier point of control what you can control, there's a lot more within your scope of control. But I would encourage you not to do it with fear, uh, not to do it with being afraid of change or afraid of, you know, what terrible thing could happen. Um, But the thing I will say is I've spent a long time looking at tech And what I continue to realize is the more that I learn, the more I recognize how little I actually know and how little we actually know as a society. We often like to pontificate on how much we know and we've solved everything and we have answers to all the world's questions. And when you really start to scratch beneath the surface, you start to go, I don't think we know even as much as we actually think we know. And I'll be the first to say, I mean, the same is true with, I mean, I talked about how I read my Bible as frequently as I do. And the more I read it, the more I'm like, I don't really fully understand this. Thing. Like I've really got to take time to dig into it, to actually understand what's going on there. And so I think we just need to be careful of arrogance and thinking that, you know, wow, we've got this all figured out. Cause we don't, we don't. And I listened back to over the holiday, I listened back to a couple podcasts that I had done um, and just even listened to my perspective on things. And I went, I can't believe that, you know, that's where my head was at six months ago, you know, on this thing. And not necessarily that I was completely off base, but like I think about how much my perspective has evolved as I've learned more, as I've experienced more. So just again, more to think about there and just be careful, be careful folks. Uh, there's a lot out there and, um, a lot of there's snake oil salesmen and women, whatever, um, anywhere that you can make a buck. So just be cautious. Um, the last one that I will end on here is I would encourage everyone going back to Yuval's point of, he told the story of someone he knew who was, Working desperately on this technological innovation with the hopes of being able to extend his life. And when he asked him why, he said, so he could spend time with his family. And he was like, Why don't you go spend time with them right now? And the person just looked at him with like a almost just, you know, awestruck look of like, Oh, yeah, good point. Um, I would encourage people to take time to reflect deeply. On the why you're doing things. Why are you actually chasing some of these things? Um, going back to it, and I know I talked about it a little bit earlier, but this this can seem like a waste of time. It can seem like, well, I just have I have so much to do. I have all these things that I have to get accomplished. And it's so easy to get on that treadmill and never think, yeah, but what if I actually did? Like, what would I actually do if I accomplished these things? And you go could i could i already have that right now where i am today like am i really just running on this treadmill only to get somewhere that i could be right now if i just got off the treadmill in the first place and um you won't know until you take the time to do that and that can be really uncomfortable i've talked to so many people and again maybe it was just because i grew up in a funeral home and spent so much time around people where they were dealing with one of the things they like to think about the least that I saw this so much. But lean into that discomfort. Lean into your whys. And not just the whys, but what's underneath the whys. I had a conversation with someone who I was asking um, what they were trying to do with their career stuff. And they wanted to hit financial independence, and they had a very specific goal. And it was, again, one of these situations where I said, what are you going to do when you get there? And they told me what they were going to do with their family. And I said, how long do you project it's going to take you to get there? And when they told me the timeline, I was like, I mean, how many years are you going to miss out on as you wait, you know, as you chase this path and what if you never get there and you can't get those that time back? Um, there's, if there's one thing we can't get back, it's time. So that's the concluding thoughts I have on that. I would encourage everybody to do that. But again, I would encourage you to know, That while this is a big thing, lots of change, more change to come, a lot of things that are outside of your control. I think there's a lot more that you can do than people often realize. And my advice to anybody would be, don't wait until you have to do it to get started on it. So with that, I will be back next week with the usual weekly update. Those of you who did send me notifications on, hey, what do you think on this? I have those added to the list. So I will touch on those next week. But thank you for those of you who listened to the end of this. This was, uh, to me, just a completely relevant and appropriate topic to kind of do a divergence from my usual weekly update. So thank you for that. Uh, please stay in touch. I love to make this content to uh, for your benefit. So help me know what it is you're most interested in. And I will continue to do that. And with that, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day and a wonderful weekend because this will be going out on Friday. So we will talk to you later and I will see you on the other side.